Welcome, you're listening to the Agile Unemployment Podcast, where in each episode, we take an in-depth look at being out of work. We'll talk about the programs and benefits available to you. We'll talk about the job hunting process itself. And most importantly, we're going to address the psychological and emotional impact that being out of work has on the individual. I'm your host, Sabina Sulat. I'm an HR expert and author. A few years ago, I lost my dream job and found myself unemployed for the first time in my life. I was frustrated by the lack of resources and information available to people out of work. But more than that, I was just stunned by the fact that we don't talk about unemployment. I took my experience and I turned it into a book and I now coach people to build resilience while they're out of work. If you are out of work, if you recently lost your job or maybe you've been unemployed for a while or maybe you're just afraid that you might lose your current job, this is the place to be. We're a safe place where we can talk about all aspects of being out of work. We can answer your questions and we can help you build resilience so that when you go back to work, you are stronger and more confident than ever. So let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Sabina. Just a quick introduction before we jump into today's podcast. There are a few updates and highlights I want to share with you. So a few updates. Several people I've worked with in this month have accepted really great job offers. Some are leaving jobs. Some have been unemployed and are leaving unemployment, thank goodness. I think there's been a lot of people still after post-COVID second-guessing their career choices, reevaluating, recalibrating, whatever word we're using this week. And we're seeing a lot of shifts. And I'll say this all the time. The employment landscape is scary. Some of this is a correction from overhiring during COVID. But I think we're always going to now see this large flexibility in employment. We have two generations that definitely enjoy the challenge of learning a new job and a new organization that's reflected in our statistics. I think the best thing is to not get too embroiled in the news and into your social media feeds, but to really focus on you and what you want, just like some of the people I work with have done. One thing I want to say, again, the podcast numbers are doing great. We are starting to see a lot of traction. I am so grateful to everyone who has listened, who has shared. People are coming back telling me that they're posting about it in unemployment forums, in you know groups, and they're asking my permission. You don't need my permission. The whole purpose of this is to help others. I am so grateful that people are helping each other. This is how we should be acting. I would not be where I am without people helping me, expecting nothing in return. This is my way of paying it forward. Please do the same. I really do think what you put out there comes back to you. So even if someone you share this with doesn't directly help you, the universe is out there waiting for you and waiting to help you. I'm a firm believer in that. I am proof of that. What really astounds me is that the podcast is not just U.S., it is global. We have people from Spain, Italy, Scandinavian countries. For some reason, I seem to resonate with this target group in Singapore. 
God love you. You guys are downloading every podcast. I think it's the same group and listening. I don't know whether you're Americans living abroad, expatriates, or if you are just enjoying the podcast, but I am so grateful you are a part of this audience. Please keep listening. So let me get to today's podcast. It's not what I was going to release this week. I have some great topics coming up. Unemployment and immigration, how to handle your money when you're out of work. But I was driving back from an errand this morning and I heard again, Disney's laying people off, another organization. I'd done a conversation with a colleague of mine, former colleague, actually a mentor, and we talked about this idea of customer success. I'll let her tell you what it's about, but in my career, it's never ceased to amaze me that when a company needs to cut back, of course, the first place they look is, let's cut our staff, because it's this immediate hit that everybody sees, and board of directors, executives are like, oh, we have breathing room, we have money on the balance sheet. What is never traced, what is never tracked is what happens afterwards. Customer success is one of those areas that is greatly impacted by the amount of staff, the amount of knowledgeable staff in an organization. You might not see the negative impact of letting people go right away when you have a layoff, but if you disrupt that customer relationship, and trust me, very few companies give better service with less people, that's where you see it. When your customers, your bread and butter starts to leave you. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow, but you will feel that impact. And it is not proportional. You might save someone's salary and let's just say it's $75,000 a year. Having that one less person to cater to a customer could cost you tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, you keep adding on to that, and it could be millions of dollars. If you're an executive, if you are an HR, and you are thinking about, should I cut my staff? Please listen to this podcast. It might make you think twice. Send it to your boss. Send it to your CEO. Let's do this mindfully. Let's not arbitrarily cut back staff when we're trying to save money. If you are a team member, and you're worried about your job being maybe not as secure as you'd think, we also cover ways that you can make yourself bulletproof or prepare for the inevitable. So sit back, take in the conversation between myself and one of my favorite executives, mentors, friends, colleagues, Shauna Osborne. She is a wizard in the area of customer success, and she has a lot of things that a lot of people need to hear and follow. So here we go. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning into the Agile Unemployment Podcast. I say this every time, but I'm extremely excited about today's special guest. One of my friends and actually one of my mentors, Shauna Osborne, is with us today to talk about customer success. So Shauna, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Sabina. Just an honor to be here. And you know how excited I am about everything you're doing with Agile and employment and rework and just, I'm just happy to help, happy to be here and happy to share and learn from you as well. 
you were here when I first started talking about the idea of the book, and it would not have happened without you. So thank you. You're the one that carried through the idea. That's the hard part. It takes a village. <laughs> it took many <laughs> villages for me. So we're talking, I just realized that we are talking on, of all days, the Ides of March. That's pretty ominous. And when I look out into the world and what's happening, I've gotten a lot of things in my inbox, a lot of things on my LinkedIn. There's yet another massive layoff at Meta. And I had already been given a heads up by a few people I know there that was happening. And there are more layoffs on the horizon for a lot of big companies. And this always gets people to think, and fortunately or unfortunately, I think the news is very timely to our topic today. I've wanted you on the podcast for a while, and we wanted to talk about customer success. But I think this is a term that a lot of people are unfamiliar with unless they work in the field. I'm a little embarrassed that you were the person who educated me when we worked together on customer success. And it does tie into what's happening in the news. If you could enlighten some of our audience, what do we mean when we say this industry, this field of customer success? Can you give me like the layman's definition? Sure. And nobody should be embarrassed about not knowing what it is. In fact, one of the companies I worked for recently, their, their CEO had never worked with customer success before. And so it's not like everybody knows about it or everybody's had that opportunity to work around customer success, but it really has been around actually for about over 17 years, I think now really created out of Salesforce of all places, but it's really a methodology or a way of approaching the customer that is focused on the customer's objectives and being able to meet those objectives with what your products or services are. And it's focused on the customer's health, ensuring that they're reaching their desired outcomes. And through that, as a company, you retain and grow. So you're focused on their health. It's a win-win. Ultimately, what you're doing is you are improving your bottom line and retaining those very valuable customers. How did you get into this field? Because oh. I don't think anybody like goes in dressed for career day, dressed and saying, I want to work in customer success. <laughs> so how did you find this field? How did it find you? And that's a great question because it, when I was pulled in, I was at a bigger company that had been acquired. Then I moved into a startup and they were bringing me in specifically to set up a services organization, billable consulting type organization. And when I got in there, we were really small at the time, with like 35 people. I quickly found out that they didn't have a basic help desk or support or customer service type function. They were consulting, but they weren't charging for it. And they also really didn't, anything that was customer facing from a relationship perspective was predominantly mm -hmm. done by the sales organization. So I managed to work with the team. We put in formal service and help desk. We put in formal billable consulting type activity, and, but there was still something missing. And the new CEO they brought in at the time, he said, I think what we need is we need customer success. We need customer success managers. And I had heard about it because I've obviously kept a pulse on things that were happening, especially in Silicon Valley, because I was in Austin, Texas at the time. 
And when I sat down with him, we figured out what we wanted to do. And what they did was they invested right out of the gate in five CSMs, which for a small company was a big deal. CSMs being customer success managers. And that's how I got into it. We built that team. We started, we improved our NPS score by 15 points, like in one year, like it was phenomenal mm -hmm. what we were doing. And we were obviously as a small company, we were very focused on customers because we don't have a lot of customers to lose in a small company, obviously, but we were also preparing ourselves for some type of exit, right? And the NPS was really critical for part of that story, the net promoter score. That is, that's how I got into it. And then I just found it was just so important in the vitality of a company to have customer success, especially in the SaaS environment, which we were. I was fortunate enough to get involved with a company called Gainsight. Uh, and Gainsight to me is a quintessential customer success company. They have the customer success management technology, but they also are thought leaders in the area. Nick Meta, that whole team and learning from them, working with them as I've moved from one company to be acquired by another company, being acquired by another company, they were really helpful in that as well. But it is, to me, it's companies that don't have customer success will eventually or won't be there. As you're describing it, it seems very process-driven, technical, and I'm sitting there thinking, so what's the difference between customer success and relationships or service? So how is it different? So the interesting thing now is like when we first started, customer success was only around the, those customer success managers that are really responsible for the customer relationship from a post-sale perspective focused on the customer's health, ensuring they're getting value out of your technology or services, et cetera, and making sure that health continues on to position for more opportunity and retention within the customer. But now we're seeing customer success is really looking at anything that is the customer experience post-sale. So it could be the customer success managers, that customer relationship. It could be customer service, which is predominantly thought of as those help desk and or delivery fulfillment type of activities. It could be customer experience, which is the customer voice of the customer activity and even some of the delivery activity. So it's really taking on a broader responsibility as customer success Certainly in larger companies, I'm seeing things like chief customer officers, basically, who have wow. responsibility for all of that, but that's termed as customer success, really. And that ties into so many things we hear about with the wants and needs that we're starting to see with our changing culture in the workplace, where people want that individualism across the board. It's not, don't treat me like everybody else, but treat me like I am special because I am. It's almost this demand. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this and saying, okay, so what does this have to do with unemployment? But you said something earlier that struck me where you said it's a very delicate relationship and a very important one because your customers, this sounds like a no brainer, but I think people need the reminder that they are indeed your bread and butter. And you and I have had several conversations about how fragile that customer relationship is. So if you could talk about that fragility for a minute of what one little thing can cause a customer to leave and how this customer success role prevents that from happening or 
saves a relationship. That's a really good thing to talk about, actually, because it is fragile. And I think that it's easy for a company to take those relationships for granted, especially if they've had a long-term relationship with that customer. And in reality, the longer your relationship becomes, the more invested in the specific individuals within your company, the service and or have the relationships with your customer, the more important that is. So I'll give you an example. One of the customers in this company that I had worked for had been basically a customer for over 10 years and thought of our team as an extension of theirs, right? And very inclusive, sharing all sorts of information, obviously for what needed to be done, but also just thought of them as part of the team. There was a decision made and companies have to make decisions. I've been in business long enough to understand that there are challenges, cost challenges, demands, whatever it might be, to look at how they could be more effective. Uh, and there was a decision made to offshore some of those relationships. These roles were not just purely relationship roles. These were also people that had expertise in the area. We're talking 10 plus years of expertise, not just with this customer, understand the customer's very bespoke requirements, but also the industry that we were in. And by moving that offshore, they were basically making a decision that they could train somebody up and do all of that stuff there, but they underestimated the power of the relationship and what that customer like had been dealing with these people for so many years and basically said, we aren't with you because you're the best. Now, yes, we were a premium service. We had amazing people, but we're also with you because you have people that care and you have people that understand us. And we can't guarantee we're going to stay with you if, you, if there are changes. Now, it wasn't like they were attached to one single person. There were like a team of people. So they were going to lose pretty much everything as far as that relationship went. And had already gone through other changes in the relationship with other parts of the organization. So it, it was a wake-up call and said, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this because we we're talking tens of millions of dollars on the line for a savings of a minimal savings by moving it offshore. You're risking a lot of revenue. So I think people need to, companies, yes, you have to make your hard decisions, but you have to really understand the impact of those decisions before you execute. And the customer relationship can never be, or should never be underestimated. I like that. And I think that plays into one of the things I wanted to talk about. I've worked in HR, I've worked in learning and OD, and it has always just gotten to me that when a company is struggling financially, the first thing everybody thinks about doing is letting their staff go. If we cut back on staff, and I get it, it's that immediate hit on the balance books. It's that immediate lightning with the next pay cycle and so forth. But you just brought up something so important. There's this cost that no one ever sees on a balance sheet, but you feel the ripple effect. You and I have talked about this a lot because we've seen companies, we worked for a company that went through a lot of change. And one of the things I admired was that you had a stance of, we can't do this at the cost of that relationship. 
And when we see things like the Amazon layoffs, the meta layoffs, I just don't feel like that's being taken into account. I think it's that immediate balance sheet issue. And I guess I'd ask you as somebody who's on the inside, how do you balance the two? I'm not naive. I don't think that, hey, if we just start watering the plants and everyone from the Boise office will be fine. I think there's more to it than that. How would you go about balancing those things as an executive, as somebody who follows this protocol of customer success with the reality of running an organization? What are your thoughts on that? That's a hard question. <laughs> we could be talking about this <laughs> I knew for a long you'd time. Have good questions, Davina. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, you know, it. I think you always have to look at alternatives and you have to do what are the pros and cons of each of them. I think that there are some times when you have to say, okay, wait, we don't have a choice. We have to do something yeah. here, but you have to do your best. This is something that executives always have to be thinking of is thinking steps ahead so that you are preparing for the potential of that. You are preparing for more automation if that's what is needed. Or let's say that the target is, or there's an opportunity to save costs in the customer service realm. Have you done everything in order to do that and not impact the customer experience? Have you set up user communities for self-help? Have you built a lot of the information so that, you know, you can bring people, if you are offshoring things, bring those people up to speed very quickly. Are you starting to use some of the AI technologies to help with that? So I think there, there has to be constant consideration on the part of the executives and the company that you may have to invest up front to save more down the line and especially taking into consideration the customer experience. To me, that's just number one. But the other thing I think is that if you're going to be making those types of adjustments, then again, really go back and do that impact analysis of mm -hmm. what does that mean long-term and then where can, what are the right decisions to made, be made here to mitigate those risks and just think about it and do it in a, in a forward thinking way, if you possibly can. I know sometimes it feels like it just kept on business. Oh, now we have to make these decisions. I don't think that it happens that quickly. I think that, that there is, if you're planning and you're setting goals and you're doing all of those right things, you should have some advance notice and you should be planning ahead and preparing your business for change to help minimize the impact on the customer and minimize the impact on the team. I like the idea of, of course, being strategic. And I think from the employee who is getting that pink slip, we no longer give pink slips, but that virtual pink slip, I would want to know that everything was done to keep me. Mm. And what would you say then to a manager or a leader of making sure that you, you know me, one of my favorite stats is that to rehire someone, which almost inevitably happens when you let them go, it takes three to 10 times their salary. And you never see that cost because it's invisible. It's in the wear and tear on the team, the advertising costs for the position, the interview time for leaders. But you also lose that history, which I think ties to customer success, where I've always worked with Shauna and now she's not here but she was my go-to. She and her staff are no longer here. It's not just that relationship, but she knew how to do what she did and the staff did. So it's in an organization's interest 
to keep people who have that industry knowledge, the skill set, the customer knowledge. So what would you say to leaders, managers about making sure your teams are as bulletproof as possible in the events of maybe looking at the books and seeing what could be sacrificed? That's the one thing that I think you really need to focus on is creating a bulletproof team is to try to develop people such that they just aren't single streamed. Right. So in, as an example, in preparation for this type of thing or understanding that there will be pressures on the business, I've always been an advocate of cross-training. If somebody is on the support desk and they know one product, but you have 150 in your portfolio, and people are probably <laughs> laughing, but I know a company that does, 150 <laughs> products in your portfolio, you want to train them up to be able to handle at least three, right? depending on the complexity of the product, but getting them more and more, minimum two, because what that allows for then is that you can have them also helping other customers so that if there are decisions around when we need to start looking at cost containment, you have people that have more value because they know products and they can serve more. And then you also have customers that on the customer side, they're dealing with more than one person. And I think that's really important because if it was not just somebody being laid off, but it could be somebody deciding that they want to move on to another company or that you want to promote them in your company. Oh, thank you for saying offer. that. You should always be prepared for that. And I will tell you that I have never had a customer who got mad because you promoted somebody. They're always <laughs> very gracious to say, you know what? They deserve that. We're really happy for them. And meanwhile, they've been working with other people in your organization. So you have that transition uh, already built in. I think that's really important to, to consider that cross-training and making sure that your customers are dealing with more than one or two individuals, if you can help it. Smaller companies, it's harder, but it should always be something you're doing for the transitioning for scalability for change. I love that coming from the learning world that I do. And I would say... Employees sometimes have the opposite reaction to that. They're, they get very territorial, especially if business is a little shaky about their skill set, not realizing that it can be a way of fencing them in if they don't diversify their knowledge and experience. But then at the same time, we have younger generations in the workplace who demand to be as diversified and developed as possible. Oh, they are so much smarter than my generation sometimes, I think. And it really is in my best interest. I can say personally, I know way back in the day, at least on one occasion, my job was saved because I had diversified. I knew things that, not that other people didn't know them, quite the opposite. It's just, I knew a lot of different things. And I know for a fact, there was a conversation about me and another coworker of, we need to keep them because if we do need to cut back, they know the most. Yeah. Uh, and that has not, that philosophy, that strategy, I think has done a lot for me career-wise. I appreciate that. How do I develop and upskill my people? It's obvious in, you already have people on the team that know. So mentorships, making sure that you build enough time into the schedules to allow people to do some cross-training. And then also, I think, building a culture of it's also your responsibility to yeah. 
build your skill, right? I may be old school, but I come from my foundation was a company that basically said, if you're going to do training, you're not going to do training all on work hours. You're bettering your skills and here's all the tools we're going to give them to you. But our expectation is you're still going to hit that 80% billable mark, which I was a consultant at the time, but you're also going to skill yourself. And so I've developed that kind of, that's the way I grew up. So it's on me to make myself marketable, but it's on us as managers to try to provide those opportunities to people to help them with that. Now, nowadays, I know that we, don't, we can't anytime. You shouldn't expect that 100% of the training be done on somebody's own time. That's not realistic either. And I think that one company I work for, there was a bit of a backlash on that. So I understand that. Trying to make sure that there is time available, at least a minimum amount of time available for people for de their development, but also working with them on development plans, super important. The managers yeah. need to be doing that. And the managers shouldn't be doing that in isolation because they may only be looking at the development of that individual for their particular organization, their particular need, when in reality, whomever the manager is at the higher levels should be saying, listen, we think we need, this person makes sense. Let's try training them on some of these things, et cetera, et cetera. Encourage managers not to just look at what's within their bubble as far as what, if it's a big enough bubble, then find opportunities abound. But look at it from the perspective of what the business need, what the business, what the individual needs, and then putting those plans in place and doing it proactively and having those regular checkups and making sure that the, that development is taking place in the right way. Because if you don't, it's not going to just happen organically for everyone. I think mm -hmm. you're right. The younger generation, they look for it. Okay. They're going to find it but that's not everybody. And also you want to make sure that if they are looking for it and finding it, you want to help direct them in a way that it's also going to benefit the business while they're in the business. I think that's a missing piece all the time. I agree with you. There should be an expectation as an employee that you develop something. It doesn't have to be leadership. It doesn't have to be it should be something you like that you're good at, that you want to take to the next level, that's relevant to your job or to the organization. But I have always found, since I've usually owned performance management where I've worked, that the missing piece is always that coaching element from a leader. Like we're we're so uncomfortable talking about development. Uh, I don't know why, because just as we've been talking about, this helps everybody all around and maybe we're changing our culture and now it's a good thing, which is great, but it's that coaching piece. I find that managers are very reluctant to do that for a couple of reasons. Yes, sometimes they feel that's not really their job, which I totally disagree with. But more than often than not, I consulted with a company where executive leadership was terrified of coaching and I couldn't figure out why. And I finally had to just point blank ask somebody. And they said, because I don't know if I'm doing it right. And I was very grateful for that answer. I'm like, that helps me help you. I can take it from there. They were, they said point blank, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to look stupid in front of my employee. So how do you coach somebody as a manager? Because I know yeah. you're good at this. <laughs> Thank you. I hope I am. How do you coach somebody? I'm a big advocate for really understanding what the individual is wanting to achieve. What are their goals ultimately? And then 
how can I help them get to that goal? And coaching is a combination of guidance, feedback, providing with the right opportunity. Certainly in the executive ranks, you have, you are responsible for finding, for growing talent, right? All managers are, but when you get to that higher level, you need to make sure that you are identifying the just the rock stars in the organization and helping to get them the right exposures, the right opportunities, the right development in order to grow them, whether it be for inside your business or not. And I know that's a bit controversial. I've always believed that if there is talent, it's my job to help that talent shine. And if they choose to take that talent, they've grown and moved somewhere else, then they've done that. And I can't begrudge them that because they are, it's like a pay it forward for me. I've been very fortunate to have been mentored by amazing people throughout my career. I want to pay it forward. I want to mentor others. I want to coach others. The other thing is understanding what their goals are, ensuring you get them the right opportunities, the right training, but also giving valuable feedback and getting them introduced to other people that can provide feedback and opportunity. It's, it sounds simplistic, but that's basically what it is from my perspective. I'm thinking of two things here. First, I'm thinking of a lot of managers I've worked with, leaders, and I was one of those once who was terrified at anybody leaving my department, not because I didn't want them to grow, but I would sit there and think, oh gosh, then I have to get their replacement and train their replacement. And that's a lot of work for me. I luckily had someone who told me ultimately promoting people from my area was a compliment, meaning I trained them well. Other managers saw that and wanted them in their departments, but other employees who still were in my department saw that as an incentive to do well. And it took a long time for me to wrap my head around that because it still meant I had to replace people and train them. Oh, absolutely. It's never easy, right? That's the, you have to set that aside. And it's a hard thing to do because, oh my gosh, there's going to be a lot more work, all of those things. But I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. I don't know if you've watched that show. Yes. But there's this one quote on there. I remember I'm watching that episode and going, ah, that's brilliant. And it's Higgins. And he says, a good mentor hopes you will move on. A great mentor knows you will. And there's so much power in that, right? It's because I know that person's going to move on. They are too talented. They should. And it's up to me to make sure my team and understanding that they will move on, that I'm preparing others in order to eventually take over from that individual, whatever it is. Yeah, it's hard to go through, but you know what? Everybody gets through it and it opens up opportunity for other people. I love that. And then I'm thinking that replacing an employee, again, I'll go back to what I said, three to 10 times their salary, but you're not losing that skill in the organization. And that's the difference than if they leave, if they stay within your organization, they will get to share knowledge with others. They might, I know so many managers who were held back because they quickly weeded out people who were competition for them. But that also meant they had nowhere to go as well. Mm -hmm. And then I tie it all back to this discussion of customer success, where you said you've never had a customer resent somebody being promoted in an organization. As a customer, I would think that 
this is a thriving organization that has a good culture that I want to be a part of because they're promoting from within. And Shauna's done such a fabulous job that they've promoted her. But luckily, I know there are three other people who know my product, know my business that I can work with. And that means there'll be another to take Shauna's place, but she's still in the company. So if I really, really need her, I'm sure I can place that call. Exactly. That's so great. Cause that institutional knowledge is yeah. so valuable. And I think that's also part of that analysis that, that needs to be done when you're going through these decision-makings as a business to where do you remove cost, et cetera, et cetera, is don't underestimate the value of losing institutional knowledge. I've seen in cases where a large organization makes an acquisition, whittles it down, and they have literally from a team of 50 down to one person that knows that product, the risk associated with that mm. is massive. There are millions of dollars relying on it, but it's not a, it's not a strategic product within the portfolio. Like it just keeps going down, down. And ultimately then when you get yourself into is a very precarious situation, right? Yeah. Understanding the importance of that institutional knowledge and having some backup as well is really important, but also for developing others in the business and around what those products and services are, who those customers are. And when they do stay in the business and are promoted, as you said, they're still there. They're still there to, if the customer needs something and often, so example, I was a CSM helping customers. So, and then I got promoted and now I'm in the product team. Hey, that customer's like, Hey, now I know somebody on the product side, you know, maybe I can get some influence going there. So like they see it again. I've not seen any of them get angry about somebody being promoted and, and often they'll go, Oh, they're over there now. Oh, that's good. Yeah. They need them over there or, Oh, now I know somebody over there. So it's, it's all in the right way is developing people, making sure you have some redundancy in knowledge, maintaining that into in, institutional knowledge within the business, et cetera. All of those are good things. At the same time, helping and developing people. This is a great positive line of conversation, but I do want to turn it back to this reality of, unfortunately, sometimes organizations, the first instinct is to let staff go. And I think we just made a pretty good case for that shouldn't be the first line of defense, maybe the last line of defense to switch that thinking because it is those relationships. It is that trust that what you build over years and years can be shattered very quickly. It only takes a few dropped calls, things like that. Do you have any examples? I hate to get to a negative note here, but I think let's say cautionary tales of where you've maybe seen that happen at work. Yeah, I think certainly in the customer success realm, anything customer yeah. facing, right, is a higher risk element to it with respect to losing customers, changing the customer experience, et cetera. I think that having that one example I talked to, obviously, with that mm -hmm. large company where there is intent of removing people for offshore to save some money. And then the reality hit and they ended up saving as many of the people they could. They had actually given notice to these mm. individuals. Then they called it back and ended up having to pay more for it because they had retention and all, bonuses, <laughs> all that stuff. So it, did, it wasn't pretty, but they recovered. 
Um, but there have been situations where I've seen decisions made to, uh, this, is a, this is an old example, but it's a realistic example where there was a layoff happening. It was a large company and they were basically taking, as Sabina, they'll just say anybody within these particular job roles within this band, mm. right? We need X number or whatever. Oh, yeah. And they just go and they probably do some of it based on dollar. And I remember I was having to give notifications to people, which is the hardest thing for me to do. The only thing where I lose sleep, because I can sleep through pretty much anything, but when I have to do that, it's a hard thing. And I didn't understand the logic of it. I was a younger manager at the time. And I was just like, this doesn't make sense. And the fellow that they, one of the guys on the list was a consultant on site who had been working with the customer for two years, fully billable. His utilization rate was really high. I've been his vacations. He was on the customer site all the time, but he was on the list and I didn't understand. And I said, why would we, why is he on the list? Because the customer loves him. The mm. customer is paying for him and they are like intending to pay for him for a couple more years. And they said, it just falls within the guidelines. Yeah. And so Unfortunately, I had to let this fellow know he was so gracious and amazing, but he ultimately went back and contracted for them. But the business lost the relationship yeah. with that customer. They didn't, the customer still needed, it was a software company that still needed the software that was provided, but they, the trust element was very much eroded. So I think that there has to be that other element, if it's purely an HR exercise, is dangerous, in yeah. my opinion. And I understand legally why they do some of those things and have to do them. But it really does seem to me like at times it can be detrimental to the business, to the customer relationship. Those individuals, he, like he was fine. He was consulting and making more money than he was before. But that's not always the case. <laughs> But why did that have to happen in the first place? It didn't even make business sense. So the, I don't think that was one that turned out very well for the business. Thankfully, it did for the individual. But it was just one of those things that's really hard as a manager to have to go through and understand. You said something that I think is really true. This shouldn't just be a numbers decision. This shouldn't just be an HR decision. These are decisions of letting someone go that should be in-depth and should be reviewed pretty much from every angle. And what shocks me is we don't have open conversations about it at work. So they do become personal because they are done in closed doors for these very kind of black and white issues where no one's seeing beyond. And the ripple effect goes to that customer success relationship. But then you brought up a really interesting point of the employee relationship too. It's hard to have a lot of loyalty for an organization that lets me go. And statistics tell us that millennials and Gen Zers boomerang back to organizations all the time, bringing back the skill set that they learned, plus other skill sets that you didn't have to pay for them to learn. I would think twice about coming back to somebody that just let me go without a second thought, which is a shame. Yeah, so. absolutely. And again, I, I also have been at the receiving end of being, mm -hmm. but, but for me, I'm very fortunate. It's not like it was 
like I can't afford to not live, right? I've been fortunate with my career, et cetera. But at the same time, it's why was that decision made, right? Mm -hmm. And did they handle it in the right way, in the best way possible? And you always look at those things. If you're on the receiving end, you take a look and say, okay, who else was impacted by this? Why were these decisions made? And, but to me, understanding it, I'm like, if that, if this decision was made, maybe it's not the right place for me anyway. Maybe they don't A, value me or value the, the remit of what we had or the overall objectives of what customer success is or the customer. Are you truly a customer centric organization? All of those different things that. I personally have to take a look at and say, is it, the, is it really the right place? Is this where I want to be spending my time anyway? This wouldn't have happened. And I imagine that goes to the customer themselves too. It's not just how the employee is treated, but if I were the customer and I saw certain behaviors, we do judge a lot on culture right now. And if I saw some behaviors, I would think maybe you're not an organization I want to do business with. Yeah, absolutely. And I have seen that impact for decisions, right? Mm-hmm. If we are moving a bunch of people out of the business in lieu of saving some dollars and moving them offshore, first off, you better make sure you have that transition very well run and smooth so Ooh. that the customer doesn't feel a ripple. Yeah. But then there are customers that will judge on that and say, listen, I want to support a company that's developing their people here. This is where we are. This is mm-hmm. our community. And it's and I'm still paying you the same amount. <laughs> and in fact, prices will keep going up. I, my expectation of service is very high. And if you're going to do this, then maybe we know look for another company that aligns with our objectives and our culture. I'm thinking we now often judge people by the company that they keep not just their own behavior, but that goes for organizations as well. And you're bringing up a really valid point of even if my business goes well with how your company handles it, if you're not culturally a good fit, that nowadays is almost just as bad as not handling my business well. And that might be a reason for me to leave. I think customers think that. And I think before all of this sudden shift where there's mass layoffs beforehand, I think employees and or individuals looking for work were consider yeah. that as well. That's a big, certainly for me, culture is one of the top things that I look at when I'm considering moving into a particular company. Wow. Sometimes you don't have a choice because you're acquired into a culture and then you try to do your best to help change that culture in the right way. But I think, I think, that it can't be underestimated, how it's going to impact your customers, how it's going to impact your employees. I knew when we started discussing this, that we would have a lot of conversation around customer success, but I have to admit it's gone on many deeper levels than I would have thought. And that's one of the reasons why I think this was a good conversation to have. As we wrap up, is there anything else, any like other kind of thoughts or words of wisdom you want to pass on in this realm to anyone listening? I think probably said too much already. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, I think when customer success, it is actually still a very uh, hot area, right? In business. And there's still a lot of job opportunities in customer success. And I think that if somebody is looking for might be the next 
thing for me. I would think about considering customer success because I think it provides a lot of opportunity uh, and for people. And it also makes for ultimately a better opportunity for the customer, which as you said earlier, is our bread and butter. They're the ones that ultimately are paying our salaries. So I think that's super important. But I think also trying to be a business that is human first, find one that is human first. That's what I mentioned, Nick Maida earlier, Gainsight. Their mission is to prove that you can win in business being human first. And, I, I and, and isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And I encourage everybody to follow him on LinkedIn, FaceTime, Facebook, whatever, wherever he is, he's phenomenal. But, and I think that even saying that every company, even if they are that way, will have these challenges, right? They're coming from tough times. It's just making those decisions and doing it with the consideration of and then the empathy for the individuals involved is super important. And the individuals involved being, of course, the employees, but also the customers. Absolutely. It is not, none of these relationships exist in a silo. Mm -hmm. Shauna, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom. I think a lot of people and organizations will benefit from it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor. And there you have it for today. I hope you learned something or heard something today that is helping you as you are in your out-of-work journey and that will help you normalize the conversation about being out of work. If you heard something that resonated with you, please show us support, subscribe, like, or comment on something. If you'd like to learn more information, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sabina Sula. I'm the only one. You can also reach out to me on my website, reworkingworks.com. You can also email me at s-s-u-l-a-t at reworking.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know about private coaching, more about the book, more about the podcast, I wish you luck in your getting back to work journey. I hope that you've learned something here that if it hasn't made that journey a little shorter, it's at least made it a little easier. Until next time, thanks for joining.